everyone. Welcome to the Light the World podcast. I'm your host, LT World. If you're new to this channel, what we do is we look into cultural questions and issues and try to look at them from both sides to be as fair as possible and see which ones make the most sense. We also do interviews with some crazy cool people who are involved in like the culture, involved in music, involved in the arts, or who have interesting background stories like the one person I interviewed grew up in a cult. So if you're interested in those type of things, definitely subscribe on whatever podcast channel you're listening to or subscribe to the YouTube channel where sometimes I also post exclusive videos there. And you can also just check me out at Instagram and Twitter and check me out at the ltworld.info. And also, excitingly enough, at the end of this week, I'm going to be dropping another interview, an interview with Vanya, a friend of mine who is in the production industry with movie production. And we talk a lot about movies, talk about Hollywood, and talk about kind of his vision for his own production company, and talk a little bit even about some of the ideas of what he has for his next movie coming out, or that he's working on, I mean. So, if that sounds interesting to you, definitely check it out. And here's a trailer right now to give you a sneak peek at it. The actors legit think that they're, act they're the characters they play. They think they're superheroes. They're gods. Making the best films right now. Christopher Nolan, with without a, without a doubt. Hollywood doesn't let us have the characters. They're always making it clear. These aren't yours. They belong to us. They belong to something else that people love the movies without the agendas. Yeah. I mean, Spider-Man is Spider-Man, so it's going to be successful no matter what. But yeah. another thing is there was no agenda in that last film. Within the movie industry, what do you think is the biggest problem right now? We have a wrong idea of what it means to push the boundary in art. It's the one that starts the podcast. Everyone hears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Acts like they have something to say. Uh, I think that you were probably uh, eye candy in that for sure. Mm. Try to present. Yes. Present truth. Yeah. And the, the question for both of us is Is the world ready? All right. So it's definitely, it was a fun interview to do. And I definitely think you guys would enjoy it. So please go give it a listen. And again, follow or subscribe on whatever channel or platform you're listening to this on. Now, today we are jumping into the topic of intersex and the gender spectrum. So, we're going to be covering two topics kind of in one because I think they kind of go hand in hand to a certain extent. And also they both have to deal with the spectrum. So we're going to be talking about kind of the sex spectrum with the intersex community. And then we're also going to be talking about the gender spectrum. And one, I wanted, I was planning on covering this anyway. But two, for my last episode, uh, transgender, Transgenderism Explained, Can a Man Become a Woman? That episode, I had someone actually reach out to me and propose to me like, hey, you didn't talk much about um, the multiple genders. You talked about man and woman, but you didn't talk much about gender expression and the multiple genders and the fact that sometimes people don't don't identify with either, and that could be allowed and therefore maybe definitionally makes more sense. So I was like, yeah, I plan on covering that. So thank you for reaching out to me. And if other people want to leave comments or any other people want to reach out to me and have questions, I definitely appreciate it. I want to make this podcast better. And I want to be able to answer questions you guys have. So I want to continue to engage with the community here. So thank you. And yes, we are going to be jumping into it now. This episode, we're going to be jumping into the history of it and kind of definitions. But next episode, we'll be jumping into more explanations and kind of the arguments from both sides. So the history of the term intersex and kind of the little bit of a little bit about gender expression. But the history for that is a little bit more vague. So 
start let's start off by defining what intersex means so intersex means is relates to someone or an an a person or an animal who has both male and female sex organs or other sexual characteristics so their sexuality is a little bit more ambiguous due to chromosomes or due to hormone stuff um, and this can be for multiple different reasons so that's what the definition of intersex is and this can then be used for the sex spectrum that we'll be talking about later but before we jump into that, before we jump into the sex spectrum and the gender spectrum, let's first talk about who was the one who termed the phrase intersex. Because obviously, intersex people or people with um, both male and female sex organs or people with hormonal imbalances or whatever it is have been around for years and years. So we're not talking about the history of mankind because you could go back for centuries and you'll see people with intersex issues. Um, but you, we, the, the phrase intersex didn't come around until I think it was around early 1900s here with a man named Richard Goldschmidt. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background of Richard Goldschmidt here because he's the one who would coin the phrase, inter phrase intersect and kind of set up the conversation for the future of how to treat intersex people and how to actually view them. So, Richard Goldschmidt was born in Maine, Germany to a relatively wealthy family. And so he got a pretty high quality education and showed a particular interest in science. Then, moving up in scientific recognition, he focused a lot of research on the genome, biology, and DNA human structure. He was really fascinated by like biology and just how chromosomes work specifically. And at this time, it was like the mid-1800s roughly when DNA was discovered. Early 1900s, they were doing a lot more research into it. So this was kind of not fully new, but a relatively newer thing. So it was gaining a lot of interest from people. So... Richard Goldschmidt then, in 1909, it was inspired by um, gypsy moths. So he started to focus a lot of his studies on these gypsy moths. And the reason being was because these gypsy moths had unusual sexual traits to them. So a lot of the, while studying these gypsy moths, he discovered that most of the female moths had white wings, while most of the male moths had brown wings. However, some of the moths, moths didn't fit well within this binary. Uh, there was actually roughly about six different kinds. It was either, I think there was five or six different kinds of these moths, ranging from the the pure female, if you would say, who had the white wings with like a black band. And then you had the pure males, if you say, with the brown wings. And then in between, there was a mixture of these. And this had to do with some of the reproduction stuff with the moths. This had to do something with some of the morphosis of the moths. And so he not, he noticed this sort of sexual um, inter interesting sexual traits of these moths and so he started doing research and he was actually very curious down the road then how this applied to humans so apparently uh, some of the variability uh, uh, some of the var variability as Richard understood it within the, the sexual traits of the different moths it had to come down to what he would understand to be hormones and how long hor how, how, how much hormones these moths had and how long they were exposed so he started to he started to hypothesize and started to study how hormones actually impacted the moth's sexuality. So if the moths had more male hormones, they would be within, let's just say, like the top two or three of the sexes or um, sexual uh, details of their bodies, like the wings and stuff. But if they had more of these female hormones, they'd be closer to the, the other side of the spectrum with the, the female moths with white wings, or they'd be closer looking to those. And so he started to see how hormones impacted these different moths and seemed to have different almost sexualities to a certain extent. So he tried to then take this research, as I said, and help describe it and define sex 
within animals and within people. And he tried to take his research with these gypsy moths and apply it to humans with his book in 1931, which he called The Intersexes, which was the whole point of The Intersexes was to make his point about all his research about how the sexes work within gypsy moths and how the sexes work within the animal kingdom as a whole and therefore how sexes work within the human community. And he would continue studying similar topics like this and how evolution played a role in the genome. And he would go down a lot of different topics. And we don't have time on this episode to go into everything he did and said. But this is where the term intersexes came from. The term intersex came from Richard Goldschmidt from his, from his research and from his books in the early 1900s. And so Richard was under the impression then that just like the moths were had different sexual traits and had different sexualities and kind of and kind of had these different physical physical things about them due to hormones and due to some of these sexual things he then proposed that maybe there's actually more of a spectrum or at least more ambiguity to sex than humans understand it this wouldn't catch wind obviously for a while the mid 1900s stuff this wasn't very prevalent actually for a while he was kind of shunned even though he was really successful as a scientist he, the scientist community actually kind of shunned him. He was kind of pushed aside. And a lot of articles talk about this. How Richard Goldschmidt, you don't really hear his name because people were kind of embarrassed by him due to his uh, views on sex and views on sexuality and the things he was trying to make connections with between moths and humans. So he wasn't well accepted within the scientific community reputationally, although he did a lot of important research. And we can even see examples of this, though, with the intersex community within public culture and how this started becoming a little bit more of a mainstream issue or how it started becoming relevant to people in their real life when they realized humans also don't always fall perfectly within an XY, XX sexual binary. So you had the Olympian, for instance, Stella Wash, who was one of the first kind of reported famous athletes who was intersex. So Stella Wash was a track and field Olympian in 1936 who really dominated her competition. She destroyed people in a hundred meter dash and doctors are like, okay, let's do a little checkup on this woman because this woman is competing in the women's league. She's kind of destroying everyone and she seems to have very masculine traits about her. She kind of has a more masculine face, a more masculine build. And so doctors did check, did check up on her and realized that her genitalia was kind of ambiguous and they actually didn't really they didn't they didn't really know how to determine her sex because she had an intersex condition that gave her kind of masculine features but also maintained a form of womanhood so she was then considered a woman due to the fact that she could have like periods and stuff like that how by what i could best understand so she was kind of the first intersex person who was kind of famous because she was olympian and then there's a plenty of other examples of this following down the road. And there's plenty of other intersex people. There's thousands and thousands of people who fall within these categories. And when people propose then the sex spectrum, a lot of, a lot of the scientific community following Richard Goldschmidt's research and following kind of these examples like Stella Wash, there was more research into the chromosome once the technology advanced enough to start looking more into DNA, into sex, and into chromosomes. And people who propose the sex spectrum, people who deny the sex binary in general, will say normally, and by what I could best tell, is that there's six known sexes. 
one article I read actually argued that there's more than that, but only six that are able to maintain life. So, for instance, sometimes stillborns will have different chromosomes than the six I will list here and explain, but they don't they don't live. They die within the womb because the chromosomes aren't able to support life. So that argue argued that there's more than six sexes, but only six that can support life. Either way, I don't we don't really need to delve into the ones that can't support life. Let's just focus on the ones that do. And so the six sexes are as follows, and I'll kind of give you their the the names that they're more known by in some cases. So the first sex that is proposed by people of the sex spectrum is called is is a single X chromosome, which is otherwise known as Turner syndrome, which typically results in growth or development pro, de, de, developmental problems for women's. They tend to be shorter, tend to be smaller. They tend to have other complications, um, but otherwise they still have function. They still have the genitalia and stuff of a woman. But since they're lacking one X chromosome, it tends to come with developmental issues for their body and for their sexuality. Then, the next sex is you have XX chromosomes, which is traditional female. You'd probably have learned about this in some sort of health class growing up. Then you have Klinefelter syndrome, which is XXY. And this results in men having smaller testes, developing wider hips, having what you might call moobs. And they have delayed puberty and less facial hair. And... Although they have function, a functioning penis, they tend to have developmental, um, they don't tend to develop as much. They tend to develop more womanly figure due to that extra X chromosome. Although, again, they have a functioning testes, functioning penis, stuff like that. Then you have XY, which is the fourth, gen the fourth sex we're going down here. And that's XY is, as again, a traditional male, as we would understand it. And you probably would, again, learn about that in your science class. Then you have what is known as XYY syndrome. It's not a very creative name, but it is what it is, I suppose. So obviously, as that name implies, the fifth gen the fifth sex here is a person who a man who has an extra Y syndrome. There isn't really too much associated with this one. People with an extra Y chromosome typically just grow taller, and they may have some learning disabilities. But otherwise, XYY syndrome doesn't propose many complications. That's why if you would look it up, there's not too much research into it. There's not too much. No, no one really dives too deep into it because it doesn't seem to have many heavy implications on a person's life. And then a very rare form of Klinefelter syndrome is XXXY. Uh, this is extremely rare, but apparently it happens. Um, and again, it's just similar to Klinefelter syndrome as far as the symptoms go or as far as what it results in. So those are the six sexes that people who propose the sex spectrum, those are the six they will rely on. They'll say, Sex is the chromosomes that a human has, and since there's six possible chromosomes that a human can have and live, there are six sexes. And, and that's normal, that, that's kind of, as that research progressed, that's what they relied on. So following from Richard Goldschmidt to some of these big examples that made it kind of more popular in the scientific community to research, and as the technology advanced, they discovered these six chromosomes, these six chromosomal structures. How does this then apply to the gender movement? How does this apply to this? Well, obviously, you can go back to my gender theory history, and you can learn a lot more about the history of gender theory, how we got to where we are today. I'm not going to delve into that. The gender spectrum, I realize, is there's not much, not too much information on kind of who started it or who termed it. It just kind of came along with the movement, the gender movement. So if you want to look, learn more about gender theory, you can learn about that in the gender theory 
episode. However, there is commonly brought up that as this research with intersex became more popular, there was this idea of, well, if there's, if there's more than two sexes, then why is it so hard to believe that there's more than two genders? And then since gender, as we kind of talked about in the past few episodes, is disassociated from sex, it should even be more malleable than sex is because it's not even rooted in biology. It's actually rooted in culture and behavior and expression. So that whole, those two kind of, that's why I kind of put them together because they kind of, they kind of hand in hand to a certain extent. And just for a kind of a fun fact, I suppose, the first person who was considered, legally considered non-binary was a person named by Jamie Shoup and they were recognized as non-binary in 2016. So this is, very, very kind of like the gender spectrum as far as mainstream appeal goes is very, very new. Only in 2016 was the first person recognized as non-binary, uh, legally speaking. So yeah, this is this is more new. And as the gender spectrum proposes, gender spectrum just proposes kind of like the sex spectrum proposes is that there's multiple genders. There's not just man. There's not just woman. There's multiple gender expressions. This can range from people identifying as queer, identifying as non-binary identifying as numerous of things. You've probably heard a lot of things on TikTok and on the internet about how people identify. And they propose this saying there's a gender spectrum. And normally people who identify this way, they identify this way because they don't think masculine or feminine or male or female or man and woman, whatever term you want to use, they don't think that fits their expression. They don't think that fits their gender. Therefore, they identify as something else and express themselves that way. But yeah, and especially people within the intersex community, um, as I was doing some research and as I listened to some different podcasts and stuff like that, a lot of people within the intersex community also, they, they feel some sort of ambiguity. So like, for instance, let's take someone with Klinefelter syndrome who is a man, but has, has a working testes, has a working penis, but has a lot of womanly features and kind of has a higher pitched voice. They don't necessarily always fit, feel like they fit well within the masculine circles because, well, they they have they seem more womanly, but they don't feel like they fit well in the feminine circles because, well, they have a, a testosterone and a functioning penis. So they feel like neither of them fit them that well, so they identify as non-binary or identify as something else. So that's how this intersex and gender spectrum plays hand-in-hand. Hand. And there's a reason to kind of sympathize with that understanding because it doesn't feel like you would fit well within either category, and therefore there's another one to identify with. But that's why I kind of put these two together because I thought they kind of go hand in hand. And I think both of them are manageable to do within one combined episode. But yeah, so that's kind of just the background on inter the term intersex, the background on how this became more of a mainstream issue as you saw Olympians and as you saw some of these famous people being athletes specifically most of the time being discovered as intersex. And then technology advanced, they discovered six different types of chromosomal structures. And then the gender spectrum just was a part of gender theory and the intersex community didn't feel like they fit within either community, man or woman. And therefore they also propelled this idea of gender identity outside of the binary. So yeah, that's kind of just the background on the topic and check in on next episode as we delve into the arguments as of why the gender spectrum makes sense and why the gender spectrum doesn't make sense, why the, the sex spectrum makes sense and why the sex spectrum doesn't make sense. So Definitely tune in for next episode. That's going to be a fun one. And hopefully I can expound more even upon the transgender argument, the transgender arguments that are made in the last episode, because I think that might also be further clarified 
through the next one as we talk about gender spectrum. So, yeah. Thank you for listening. And again, if you enjoy what you hear, subscribe, follow along on whatever podcast you're listening to. And you can check me out on Instagram and Twitter and ltworld.info to be updated or to learn more about my stuff. And check out the interview coming out at the end of this week. So thank you guys for listening. And please, friends, go out there and light the world.